Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. Today, I am thrilled to announce that we are doing our very first, our inaugural, if you will, episode of uh, First Lady and Friends Book Club. And we put this out there a few weeks ago, so I hope you all have read the book. I'm sure you have. But we are reading uh, Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett. Uh, the subtitle is The Power of Emotional Intelligence to Achieve Well-Being and Success. And I think we have all had an incredible time reading this. I think it has been totally enlightening, at least for me. So also today on the podcast, we have our friends in the studio with us to talk about this book. And we also have listener feedback that we're going to discuss as well. So let's get proximate. Welcome to the show, Kirsten Rappley. Yes, back again. Can't get rid of me. <laughs> and Shelly Smith is here as well. So good to be back with you guys. It's been a few months. So hey, Shell. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so let's, let me just dive a little bit into why I chose this book. And you all know because you read it and now you've been blown away by how amazing it is. And... Um, I came upon this book because I was actually researching about social and emotional learning um, because I was trying to figure out what to do for an initiative. And um, somebody approached me and said, you know, do you know how crazy important this is? Tammy Piper actually came to me and said, this is what's going on. This is what I've been thinking about. And so I, I dove right into it. Um, and I wanted to know more. And this is a book that came up about how we encourage, how we teach um, emotional intelligence. And Mark Brackett does such an amazing job at really weaving in his personal experiences, I think, because that was really a powerful part to me. And so as I as I thought about this, I just have read this book. I've I've realized how important, how critical uh, this this topic is and, and and this book has really changed the way I think about it. And the quote just right on the first page in the prologue, it says, our emotions are a big part, maybe the biggest part of what makes us human. And yet we go through life trying to re- pretend otherwise. Our true feelings can be messy, inconvenient, confusing and addictive. And it's no wonder our emotions scare us sometimes. They seem so out of our control. So, ladies, let's talk about your feelings. (laughs) But first, Kirsten, why don't you talk to us a little bit about Mark Brackett and um, who he is and and some also some exciting news about Mark. Oh, I'm going to save that for you. It is your podcast. (laughs) I'll be the friend all day long. But, man, you get to make the good announcements. And I think we've alluded to it in the past. So if you're a listener that, you know, hangs with us a lot, you'll you'll probably know what's coming. Uh, Mark Brackett, though, he's phenomenal. We um, have become like slightly obsessed with him over the last little while. We've um, obviously read his book that we're going to be spending today talking about and then um, watch some YouTube videos and things. He's really a phenomenal um one of those once in a generation leaders who sort of like marries the nerdiness of research and, and policy with like the practical and the social things that, like the the really practical stuff we're going to be talking about today. At, that's part of permission to feel um, professionally. He's awesome. He's a professor in Yale University's Child Study Center, and he's a founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. So bing, bing, that's what this is all about today. He's been he's refers to himself as an emotion scientist and has been for 25 years, which is like pretty crazy to me because um, that's not like a whole ton older than I am. Right. Twenty five years give or take, you know, (laughs) okay, maybe, maybe it's not, but so close. I just don't feel like people were even talking about this stuff 25 years ago, right? People, it it was really all like, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and, and 
nobody was really all that concerned with social and emotional well-being at the time. And now, obviously, with the way things have been going, everything's getting flipped on its head, and that's wonderful. But he's, like, really, really cutting edge on this. And, yeah, you talk, you talked about um, how he applied everything from his personal life throughout the book. And he has – the core of his whole approach has been um, – his own background where he was bullied, where he was raised in a home where he didn't have the emotional supports and his parents would sound like really struggled with their own things. But he had this uncle who really took into consideration how what his emotional well-being was like and that changed everything for him. And now he's this like nationwide, worldwide leader in, in this space, which is really amazing. You, First Lady, talk a lot about um, – you were just presenting to a bunch of teachers yesterday and you talked about how it, sometimes really all it takes is one caring adult and there's a bunch of research that backs this up now, right? Yeah, there's a big Harvard study on that. Yeah, and it, and the one caring adult can just completely turn around a child's life. And, and Mark Brackett is the perfect example of that. And so now he's doing all of this really phenomenal um, emotional intelligence-based research and raising all this money. And he has this system called the ruler approach that we're going to jump into and spend some time on today um, that can be implemented as a curriculum in schools, but also in families and societies, all these things that is like a wonderful prescription for all of the woes we're experiencing in society today. So I, yeah, I'm pretty borderline excess, uh, obsessed with him at this point. <laughs> I am too. And, um, you know, Shelly's here. Shelly has, has gone through this journey with us as well. And um, I just want to ask, how are you feeling, Shelly? <laughs> Abby, that is a really great question for you to ask me. And you've asked me several times this summer because, as you know, um, I've been through an interesting summer. I think I've experienced every emotion possible. And this book came at a really perfect time for me because I've allowed myself to have permission to fill. So it started in June with the death, the unexpected death of my brother, who's 52 years old and very healthy. So you go through the grieving process to, you know, just a couple of weeks later, going through the most emotionally high experience and an exciting time in our family when my youngest son was um, drafted out of the second round. He was the 45th pick for the Los Angeles Angels. So I've been able to go through all these emotions of the lows and the highs. And now reading this book is like, it's so wonderful because we're going to talk about how the ruler, you know, the, the different ways that we can identify things. But for me, this has been really helpful to me to know how to label my um, emotions, but then also how to regulate those emotions and to give myself permission to feel. Just beautiful. Uh, and I am so glad it came at a time when I mean, I think we all have those moments in our lives, hopefully not as dramatic as as yours in this moment, but we do learn and 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 we're going to be faced. I think I think that's where I'm at with with emotional intelligence, especially as it relates to education. Um, I guess I look back and wish I had more skills. I wish I had had more uh, a, a, an ability to really think about my emotions and how it affects everything that I do and um, and don't do. Sometimes we miss opportunities because we are feeling an emotion of of maybe being um, inadequate or, you know, whatever it is that, that holds us back. And I think if we address some of those things, we will be able to be our best selves. Um, as I am reading this book and I was thinking about – you know, Mark Brackett's story in it, he talks about being um, sexually abused by a neighbor and how when his parents finally did find out about it, you know, they did the best that they knew how to do, but maybe it wasn't, you know, the the best way that he needed mm -hmm. to have it addressed and his emotions addressed. And then and then as a result, you know, the bullying and the, and the things that went on. Um, I was thinking back to my own childhood and I was thinking about my mom and I have a wonderful mother. Obviously, a mother of 10 is going to be, you know, probably emotionally spent. Um, and she grew up in a home where, you know, it was very English. We we're very English, you know, stiff upper lip, that real Puritan kind of vibe. And um, I... It, it's funny because I remember I'd fight with my, I was so difficult for her. I was so <laughs> difficult for her. We all for, realize for that now. For the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> but, I was too for my mother. Maybe that's why we're I kindred spirits. <laughs> I'm sure that's why we connect. I, I think her personality and my personality just really clashed big time. 
Um, and we're great now and she's a wonderful woman and just a really, a really great person. But there's been, for some reason, I don't know why, but like I would sit there and fight with my sisters. Again, I'm fifth of 10. You you had to do something to get, get, make a splash. (laughs) So a lot of fighting, a lot of, you know, I just really didn't get along. Um, never felt like I, you know, looking back now, I can sort of figure out why I, I was, you know, doing some of the behaviors I was felt like I was maybe not feeling like I belonged in a family of mm-hmm. 10. And um, I remember it was just constant. I, I'd do something stupid. She'd lose her mind. I'd do something stupid. She'd lose her mind. I mean, it was just that's how we functioned. And then I remember one day her just like sitting in my room with me and I was like waiting for the you know, the punishment. I was waiting for her to like lose her crap on me again. And she came up and instead of doing that, she just sat down with me like first time ever. And I was probably maybe 12 or 13. And I remember her saying to me, but, but why Hmm. you basically asked me, why do you think you behave this way? And it was such, it was the first time ever in my life that she asked me that. Instead of like behavior punishment, behavior punishment, it was like, but let's try to understand why you're doing this. And in that moment, I sat there and really like reflected, like why? I really did have to stop and think. And I was like, well, probably because I'm feeling like left out. I'm feeling like I'm not a part of you know, this sister group or this sister, when, when there's that many, there's, Oh, that's a thing. There like. any, <laughs> oh. And I never, you know, I had two brother, two older brothers, two older sisters, and then five younger sisters and like the two boys are friends, two girls are friends. And then my two younger, the ones just younger than we were buddies. And it was like, I was just always like the odd man out and that belonging piece. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I think that was it. And for a long time, I've tried to like think about that. But my anyway, so this is sorry, this is a way long story. And I want to get your feedback on maybe some some thoughts that you have about moments when you really thought about your emotions as you grew up. You know, it's funny you say that because. I was a pretty chaotic kid, I think, during some of my teenage years, and, and I and I look back at that now. And my mom and I are actually also very, very close. I couldn't do my life the way I do it now without her, and that's for sure. Um, but I, I think we didn't have a lot of those communication skills, right? Yeah. And a lot of what we're talking about throughout the initiative work we're doing is how do we kind of implement that in in schools and, and give that space for, you know, allow that to be a space where we learn conflict resolution and we learn self-regulation and all, all these other things. And really it wasn't, it wasn't about that kind of thing growing up. But what I love um, in, in the present is that because I'm fairly early on in my parenting journey, I have, you know, my just barely three-year-old, my just barely one-year-old um, and, and I'm learning these things now um, there are things that my mom and I both can teach my kids in, in the current generation, right? Like even just earlier to, I was actually on the phone with you earlier today yeah. and it was right, right before that happened where you called me, um, maybe like 20 minutes before the TV was on playing blues clues and my kid had gotten a hold of the remote and it was like super, super loud. And my baby started crying and I was trying to wait to put her down for, and it was all these things that happened like audibly. It was just a lot of clashing sounds and I got really overstimulated. Like I went from a pretty chill zero, <laughs> like we're watching Blue's Clues getting ready to record a podcast to like totally triggered you guys. And I like it, it, it happened in a minute and I was like, oh, my gosh. And my instinct was to like grab my baby and like yell at my kid. And But but because. Because we were like, I was actually in the moment studying to make sure I had something relatively important or smart to say during this <laughs> podcast. I was like, OK, hold on. Pause for a second. I told my little boy, I was like, hey, mommy's feeling really overstimulated right now. Can you turn the TV down and just go sit on that side of the couch for a minute while I change your sister's diaper, like whatever it was? And I kind of was able to like parse apart like, OK, what's happening here? Because I paused and I breathed and was like made sure he knew like I this is not because of you this is something that's going on with me and then like we just kind of sorted everything out it took like a a whole like two minutes and everything was totally fine again 
you know? And I'm so grateful that we're having these conversations now because if that's happening at three, I hope I can keep it up as parent, right? And and get better at it. And and Mark Brackett talks a lot about practice. Mm -hmm. Like throughout the entire book, he's talking about, hey, these skills like don't come naturally to us. We don't, we're not born as emotion scientists is the way he puts it. You need to be practicing these skills. And I'm, it just, it feels lucky. Honestly, it's one of those moments where it's like this feels really good and right. And I hope to do this for my whole life. I love it. Shelly, like, where are you on this, this spectrum? Did you, did you feel like you, you had these skills growing up? You didn't, or how, you know, where are you? I love that this book, the book, because it gives me the opportunity to reflect on my childhood. And so as I was looking back, I was like, I am really blessed to have the parents that I have. But I was difficult for my father. My dad was a, by the book, very rules-oriented policy handbook. And I was just a little feisty. And so it was a little pushback. right? shocking. So she's saying she didn't quite fit in because there were all these friend groups. I didn't fit in because I have five siblings, well, four siblings that are calm, cool, Mm. and collected. And then middle child comes along. And I wasn't like them. And so my dad couldn't figure out why, if the rules are the rules, why can't Shelly just, why does she have to talk back? So my mom, looking, reading this book, I realize now how, and I've known this, how emotionally intelligent my mother is. My mm-hmm. mom has always been my Uncle Marvin. My mom, though we may not always get along and see eye to eye, my mom always said, do not break her spirit. Do Mm. not break her spirit. She came this way for a reason, and we're going to let her be this way. I sometimes say, you might have could have maybe tamed me a little, Mom. (laughs) But honestly, she allowed me to talk. She allowed me to feel. She allowed me to express my emotions, and she still does to this day. My dad, I love him dearly. We can talk sports all day long, but let's not talk about feelings. Let's not talk about problems. My mom lay it on her and she is the voice of reason to everything so Marsha if you're listening I do love you (laughs) thank you so amazing I think you know and I think I probably had the opposite my dad sort of got me Mm -hmm. he like he got it and my mom was like I just I remember a trip my dad was taking a business trip I was eight years old I remember this very distinctly because I um it never happens in a family of 10 but I my dad was leaving on a business trip and my mom said, well, I didn't know this. I assumed this happened. And then I asked her later and she said, yeah, that's pretty much how it went. But I said, she said, you take her or I'll probably kill her. So <laughs> my mom has that for my sister when she was younger because she cried okay. all the time. But oh. yeah, my, yeah, people, my, my mom probably told everybody. And we were all just Shelley. surviving, right? <laughs> I like, know, my parents bro- are just I know surviving. That's yeah. because my, and, and you just never like... You know, when you're, so it was just me and my dad went on this business trip together. We drove to Denver and it was like, it was like the best memory of my, one of the best memories of my life because I, me and my dad got to spend this whole road trip together one-on-one. So it was really fun. Well, I want to get back into, to, um, more of this ruler approach and, and what they talked about and, and really labeling our emotions. I think that's been something that we all sort of connected with and thought, you know, pretty mind blowing for us. So um, we'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends podcast, our first inaugural edition of our book club. So we are here. We are discussing Permission to Fill with Shelley Smith and Kirsten Rapley. And um, Kirsten, just maybe just go through what the ruler approach is for those that have not yet read the book and you'll you'll see it when you do. Yeah. And even for those who have, like, I was thinking about it as I was driving up here. It's like, do I have this memorized? Probably. And I was so immersed in the book the whole time because it's it's one of those I didn't really want to put down. Right. But I was like, oh, I don't think I can remember. So I think it's a good review for even those of you, you know, our many, many listeners who for sure read the book. Right. Um <laughs> Just a little bit of a background on the ruler approach. Um, Mark refers to it as a systemic approach to SEL. 
and they developed it there at the Center for Emotional Intelligence. So it's like it's all these principles that you can infuse into school and home and society and all the other other places um, for kids, for teachers, for principal. Right. Like so a lot of I mean, everybody can apply it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And I think um, I like ruler. It applies to schools because we're all thinking about rulers in schools. <laughs> the acronym is the first R is recognizing, like recognizing your emotion. Um, the U is understanding it. L is labeling, which first lady, you're big on that one. Um, e is expressing. And the last R is regulating, which I think is Shelley's favorite of, of all of them. Um, the other thing that's important to note with the ruler approach is once you have um, those and, and they each refer, they're each a skill, right? But then there's tools that he has four core tools that you use to sort of like implement the skills. And those are the charter. Um, we can maybe talk about a little bit like, so like a family or a school charter, um, the mood meter, which we all have one in front of us right now. It's beautiful and colorful and we should talk about it. The meta moment, and which is actually kind of what I was just referring to, where you just like take a second and self-regulate and kind of recognize where you are. And then uh, um, uh, there's a blueprint as well. And so, yeah, that that's it. R-U-L-E-R. Yeah, I I think that's a good um, starting point because I think as we as we know that, then we all know what we're talking about. Um, let's just talk about the, you know, Shelly, what, what stood out to you in that ruler approach? I know you talked about... Um, you know, maybe you there's color. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Right. So in the book, it, it does. It has a quadrant where it talks about your energy and your pleasantness. And so there's the red, the yellow, the blue, the green. And as I as I pulled it up and I looked, I'm like, oh, I can definitely see where I live. I live really high energy most of the time or just in a bad mood. So I'm not <laughs> calm. I'm not depressed. I'm not sad. I'm just like I'm high energy or I'm like I'm mad. And that's why regulate was really helpful to me because like I was telling Abby when we walked in, I have a high energy personality and Mm -hmm. sometimes I have to read a room and I walk in. So I've always been in a job for the past several years where I'm in fundraising and I have to be outgoing and ask for money and be excited about nonprofits. Well, I currently work in the governor's office and the mood there sometimes isn't always, it's a little more, you know, professional. We have detail security and sometimes I'll turn the corner and I'm like, what's up everybody? And they're like, good morning, Miss Smith. Take your desk, please. So sometimes, like take your desk. Oh, isn't a search day? Shouldn't you be working from home, Shelly? So I have to regulate the high emotion sometimes and remember like, okay, on the level, but I also need to regulate when my emotion, when I'm, I, I think Abby, you said last week with Dr. Madsen that you are conflict averse and I'm not. And so I'm like, if this is a problem, well, I'm going to tell you it's a problem and I have to stop. I have to practice regulating. It's a problem. Calm down and I'll approach it not being in the red. Mm, I love that. Getting myself to the green. <laughs> and try to explore some of those green blue areas yes. just but for fun. fun too that you know now, right? Like that, there, that these yes. different quadrants in, exist. And for the listener who hasn't lit, or seen the mood meter or listened to the book, there's like all these different squares within where, and, and I think Abby, you're going to talk about labeling a little bit, but they give you different words to describe how you're feeling. And it's so funny that you say yellow and red, right? Yellow and red are kind of like the high, they're both the so high yellow, energy. Here's a few words. So upbeat, cheerful, lively. That's from, from yellow. I'm optimistic, enthusiastic. Well, red is like frustrated, tense, panicked, enraged, <laughs> fuming. So I'm like, I am enthusiastically fuming. That's funny. Abby, where do you think you live? Where Where do you live on the quadrant? Gosh, I don't know. You know, I see I, Abby as a green. I do too. She's honestly, we're grateful. We're she's satisfied. Here. <laughs> she's content. She's I don't know. Loving, don't you think? But though, I have heard you. I've been on I a phone say, I'm probably green or red. I probably leave in the. I probably live in the green and then the red. I laughed the other day because she was telling me something, and she's like, "I mean, I'm not going to say anything about it." And I was like, "Oh, see, that's so opposite of me." She was fuming, but I'm not going to say anything. And I'm like, "And that's why you live in the green because I'm fuming and I'm going to say it." <laughs> That's so true. You know, that I think the I love this quadrant because it gives us so much vocabulary. And I'm mm-hmm. just big on I just think there's so much in the world that we're not 
talking about properly or or we're mm-hmm. miscommunicating because Preach. we are not sharing the same vocabulary. We're not sharing the same definitions. I mean, we can talk about things all day long and we just talk past each other because we're not actually addressing the thing that we both are coming from a shared place of understanding. I, I guess for me, what you know, when we talk on social media and we're screaming about like CRT or we're screaming, screaming about something else and we will fight all day long and not really even understand what we're both talking about. Yep. And we're talking about two different things and still yelling at each other about it. But I love that you just said that because these words, I use two words all the time. I use the word anxiety. I'm like, I'm a little anxious today. You guys, I don't have anxiety. I don't suffer from it. I don't have it. So when I use that word, it means really to me like, I got a little butterfly in my stomach. I'm nervous. Hmm. But somebody who really has anxiety and is anxious, that's a really real emotion to them. And it's different. So we could be talking anxiety and they're like crippled with it. Like I can't get up in the morning with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I got a little butterfly in my stomach. I love that this has so many other words that we can start using, feeling that same emotion, but mm-hmm. using other labels for the same thing. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. So just for instance, I mean, like I had to leave one of our meetings. We were in a meeting at the mountain the other day talking about our conference, talking about what we're you know, really digging deep into some of this emotional intelligence stuff so that we we can help teachers, we can help students. And I get a text on my phone from one of my children that says, um, I'm feeling horrible right now. I don't know what to do. I have to leave. I have to excuse myself. And I sit down with that child and like I start looking at some of these labeling, these emotions that, that we look at right here on the quadrant and you start asking questions about these emotions. What are you feeling? I mean, this is severe anxiety he's feeling. So I'm like, okay, what is it coming from? Did, did you, you know, how does this feel? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling frightened? Are you frustrated? Are you nervous? Are you, you know, where are you, are you feeling trapped? Are you feeling, you know, like mm-hmm. what is it that you're feeling so that I can sort of get a feel for where I need to come in and how I can help you. Deregulating right there. That's exactly what it it looks like. It was really beautiful because in that moment I had to really use these skills and, and help him through this. And as we talked through it, he was able to like say some of the things I, I, I was giving him words for things. I was giving him the vocabulary to express exactly what he's feeling. And then I could say, okay, now I know where to go from here. Well, mm-hmm. I don't always know where to go, but I'm going to try to weave my way through here mm-hmm. to try to figure it out. But I think the labeling is so important. And like you said, Shelly, like using these words and having more than just I'm fine or I'm good or I feel crappy or I feel anxious or whatever it is that we, we only have like, like a handful. And anxious. Those are yeah, like the two words that you I'm happy. I'm stressed and anxious. Okay. Yep. Well, anything else? Yeah. So, Kirsten, where where are you? Where what spoke to you? <laughs> you know what? How it's, stressed are you yeah, at the current moment? Now, you know what I think is was one of the things in the book that really stood out to me. What he he addresses the fact, and, and you read the quote at the beginning that was like, "Hey, our emotional selves is like internally, like our internal lives. They're all about our emotions. Why are our external lives not lined up with that? Why are we expected to like hide behind everything?" And I thought that was so profound and so important. And and, and throughout the book, he asks. At, like at the beginning of like every single chapter, how are you feeling? Right, which Shelley was kind of you know being Shelley about that earlier, but <laughs> but and it really is so important. But I found with me when he started asking that in like the beginning of the book, I was like, gosh, I don't know how I, I don't have any idea. Most of the time, I'm driving as I'm listening to the audiobook, right? Like, oh, I don't know, I'm fine. Like, I'm focused on the road and you, Mark. But at some point in the book, he said, hey, you know, a lot of adults, most adults, I think he was referring to a study, like have three to five emotions in a minute, 
right? Like they experienced three to five emotions in a minute. And I was like, oh, that resonates so strongly with me because my brain is like, I think if you could see the inside of it, it, it would probably just look like a ping pong match all the time because I, I, I'm not good at focusing on one thing at a time, which I think has brought me some success in life and brought me some failures in life. <laughs> but I, I will bounce between like the, the low pleasantness, the high pleasantness, the low energy and the high energy, like so, 15 times in, in five minutes, you know, sometimes. And, and the fact that that's normal behavior was wonderful for me to hear. So I loved that from the labeling standpoint. Like you can be feeling pleasant about the drive you're on and calm about life like generally, but also in the moment you can be bored. And like the fact that you can go back and forth between these quadrants and that's like a really normal thing, but also really good for you to recognize and, and, and label those things. It's really helpful for me. Yeah, and I I think, you know, if we go back to this, you know, these we're talking mostly interpersonal um, you know, connections and how we how these emotionals play emotions play out in our interpersonal um lives. But if we go back to this idea of education and and children, I I think if we think about what teachers and you can ex- think about the experiences you had in a classroom setting as you grow up, if we think about um, emotional intelligence as it relates to education, um, we can't expect children to learn academics if they are not regulating their emotions. I mean, no way. so I've been so a teacher true. and I also was, a, again, <laughs> this... <laughs> Maybe I've grown up a little bit, but I, I really was kind of the loud, annoying kid in in the class too. Which shocks me about you. I don't, doesn't it? She's so refined. My mom, now. My, my mom, my mom would go into parent and teacher conference and they'd be like, "We can't get her to stop talking." And they'd be like, "She's just like, you know, like this little social butterfly. She just wanted okay, to talk." That doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, and so there, she, my mom would say, "We'll just move her desk by the teacher and just, you know." move her away from people. But but I think that's not the answer. And that was the answer from that was the that's how people that's how teachers and educators and parents sort of reacted to me and to my behaviors and to my emotions. But I don't know that that's the best way. One of my favorite stories from the book is he talks about a ruler classroom, right? So like a class, a school that has implemented the ruler approach and probably had trainings on it and all of those things. And, and there's a teacher that has this quadrant outside the door every day. And before the kids go into the classroom, they like point for the teacher where they are on the quadrant in that moment. And that gives the teacher a really empowered sense of what's going on, right? And and is there anything that maybe needs to be addressed before my kids can get into the headspace where they can focus and learn or are we are we fine? And there's another one where they um there's another anecdote in the book where he talks about a teacher has time for the kids to bring up things in their lives that like they have questions about or that maybe aren't going well and then the kids give advice back right so like one of the kids had done something related to like spit wads in an old lady's house or something i don't remember the exact details right now but and the kids were like, well, first of off, you probably shouldn't have done that. But like, also, where did the motivation come? And like, and, and they really like helped each other to diffuse the whole situation. That is so cool and so beautiful. And I love the idea of my own children going into a school where that is like, you know, it's become second nature for this teacher. It's just part of what she's incorporated into her into her classroom studies. Super cool. Yeah, I, I think that's incredible. Shelly, I'm sure you had some fun school experiences. Well, I, I have one that this book really brought up, and, and I've known it for years why I why I had a certain situation. But he says in the book, he says, all learning has an emotional base. And when my dad, when I was younger, my dad was in banking, and we moved around a lot. And one of the places that we moved was Hobbs, New Mexico. So it is the armpit of New Mexico. And I moved in and I was in a minority. I was one of three white children in the class. And at that particular time, they still did paddling and ruler tapping. And so I remember, yes, I remember being out in the, in the hallway. My teacher took me out and she said, you've lived here for two weeks now. And if you do not reply with yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you will be paddled. I was terrified living in the school and living and we when I moved there they were we were in math multiplication they were ahead of where I'd been in Utah and I will tell you I was terrified of that school I was terrified of my learning environment girls I can't do math to save my life and I'm oh, not sure. I'm not kidding I I shut down 
during that during that time it was like I lived in fear and it has learning has an emotion base and so for me I'm always like people are like you really can do math and I'm like yeah, I kind of go back to a place where my childhood of multiplication just, I, I start to panic. <laughs> yeah. And mm. then it took me a long time to get to a place with my relationship with math just because of that one relation or that one experience in learning. That's in an environment of fear. Yeah. You, you spoke there to like the cultural elements as well. That is addressed so beautifully in another anecdote in the book where he talks about um, two friends of different cultural backgrounds getting mm-hmm. into an argument and and an administrator at a school using um, emotional deregulation or regulation techniques sorry to um to kind of get them to talk to each other and and how it ended up you know Abby to your point about common language right like one of them did something that was highly offensive because in, in like Iranian culture but it was just like a reaction from this kid who came from like um a Latinx background right and so mm-hmm. I think um. I definitely have come from a background where I've been a little bit scared to interact with people who have different backgrounds than I than I have because I'm so scared of like offending or or, or and and the, these tools really are empowering because they they can teach you how to just view everybody as humans and and to treat everybody as humans and to learn and to converse in ways that we I mean everybody speaks the language of emotion right. Yeah, and I think I guess the the goal I think for for Mark Brackett and his work, but also for um, us in our work, is to have a generation that is infinitely better prepared mm-hmm. to connect with each other, to have empathy, to regulate their emotions, and to be wildly successful in every endeavor they have because they have these emotional intelligence skills, which we know translates to high academic achievement as well. So we want to continue the conversation and we want to bring in some comments and some questions and discussion points that we've had from from other listeners and people that have read the book. So we'll be right back. We are back here on First Lady and Friends, our book club edition of the podcast. We want to bring in... um, some listener questions and comments. Um, I, I think it's really fun that we, you know, we got some responses and those who had read the book and we, we know who the, who the real um, high achievers are <laughs> in, yeah, our, star in our, students. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Maddie Morrison, um, Becky Pickle and Candace Little sent us some, some comments and some questions. So let's, let's kind of go through these. Christian, do you want to we want to talk about them a little yes, bit? Yes, because I'm the one that always has my computer. Fun fact, I always have my computer in front of me, and me when we're podcasting. I think it's like I, I'm too type A, and if we have a question, I need to like Google it real quick or something. I don't know. She's the best. It's just, it's just my part of the team to have the computer in front of me. So as such, yes, I would love to read through some of these. Um, Maddie was great, and shout out to Maddie. You're always so awesome and, and involved in the stuff we're up to. Um, she said she loved the examples of kids teaching their parents what they had learned. Do you all remember that from the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and again, like this generation is going to do this. Like as we focus on them and give them the tools, they I just believe that they are more prepared for this. They are ready for this. And they're going to continue to teach us. If anybody's been around children or youth, or, you know, yeah. you realize these kids really get it. And it's pretty awesome. As I read that part, I thought, oh, my kids, especially Kai, didn't get his emotional intel- intelligence from me. He's he's learning it, and he helps me. And there's been responses he's had to me that I'm like, oh, who's the adult in this situation? But yeah. thank you, son. But my favorite is when I'm getting angry. He's like, does anybody ever tell you how beautiful you are when you're angry? <laughs> and then it just, just stops the whole everything. thing. Yeah. So I'm like, I love that kids can learn this. And then they can, in turn, teach us. And that's one of the skills. That's one of the practical skills they talk about is grounding, right? It's like, hey, ask them if they want water. Ask them, mm-hmm. like, bring them back to the present moment. So that's perfect. Go Kai. Yeah, go Kai. Go Kai. I love it. 
Hi. Um, Becky Pickles, one of our BFFs in so many spaces. She And she's been a She was a guest. guest. Yeah. She was oh, amazing. amazing. She is. I oh, loved her episode. She is amazing. She is currently on a vacation because her husband retired. I saw pictures of her on a beach reading this book, oh, which was goodness. pretty fabulous. So wonderful. Yeah, she's currently reading the book, which I love. Um, she asked, I think, a really awesome perceptive question. Why do some perceive feeling feelings as weakness and how do we correct this you're from a rural background abby and you've talked about how in rural utah sometimes that's a real thing well it is and i think um you know again i I go back to my family and we we all have certain backgrounds we all came i mean we we get things from even generations and generations and i've always Mm -hmm. spencer and i always talk about like my parents especially being sort of from that that english puritan you know, duty of everything else and just pick yourself up and, and don't whine and don't, you know, just get her done kind of thing. But, um, and so I think a lot of, in a lot of ways where we've been conditioned and socialized for that, it does take a lot of strength to, to then back up and say, no, actually we all, and that's what I loved about him saying the, the quote I said at the very beginning is like, we all are emotional beings. Mm-hmm. This is just who we are. And if we don't recognize that, we're not going to be as successful. Well, when you talk about feelings as weakness, I think it was your episode, Abby, with your sister-in-law, Emily, where you talk about those feelings that you had after you give, is it Hayden? Lawson. 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 Yeah. Oh, sorry. I have a friend that's Hayden and they have a Lawson. So, <laughs> so Lawson and you have those emotions and you, as you are talking about it and the, maybe the you know, postpartum feelings. I thought, oh my gosh, I remember after having a baby and you don't tell back 20 years ago, you don't tell anybody you're struggling. And you, Kirsten, with your generation, you're so lucky to be able to share your feelings and to say to a friend, I'm struggling with postpartum. I'm struggling with this. Mm -hmm. So as you shared that experience with Emily, it was so beautiful to me that you shared your feelings and that it gave me permission to say, Oh, yep. I experienced that too with one of my children, but I didn't talk about it 25 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's kind of contagious, right? It, right. It, we're all having these conversations now that, and I, and I do think I'm lucky to be in a space where I'm learning this early on in my parenting journey. And I got a little bit of it early on, on in life, but even for me graduating in you know, 2008 from high school. There it is. Do the math. Um, I can't. I can't these do kinds math. Of things weren't oh, yeah. That's right. You and me both, sister. Can you tell me? We're in government. It's fine. We, okay. We're not the ones in government, though, everyone who, like, calculate the taxes or the budget or anything. So you don't have to worry about us. Please don't. Please don't. Don't worry. We're, you don't have to stress Somebody about really, safe. really awesome at math is doing that. I was actually trying to think as you were describing some of your experiences earlier, Shelly, if, like, you and I would have been friends in high school. The jury's still out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We totally Jillian would have been friends. Jillian and I totally would have been. <laughs> would have been friends. We would have been friends because I seriously love everyone. I'm like, I want to be everyone's friend. And people are like, but get out of my space. You're way too high energy for me. Like, regulate yourself in a different way than the rest of us. That's so awesome. So awesome. Um, I, I think one of the last things related to how do we correct this from Becky's question is it's I I agree it's just a matter of practice going back to that all throughout the book it's like practice this practice this share it get used to talking about our feelings folks and then and to the earlier point the generation coming up they're all like phenomenal at it and they're like hey everyone should be in therapy and like (laughs) we are all into these apps uh sarah allred our deputy director talked recently about how she came home or like into the room and one of her like little little daughters was using the headspace app to to do like a mindfulness routine of some sort and she's like what are you doing she's like mom 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 I felt like said something like I felt dysregulated and so I'm just taking a minute for myself and like I'll get back to my homework and it's like whatever it was and it's like that's freaking amazing are <laughs> you kidding me right amazing. now it's that's so good amazing. so so good they're just gonna be so much better yeah. they are I they mean are. at that age we were calling in the radio station like <laughs> like dedicating songs to boys Stop we were not it. doing mindful, mindful. <laughs> meditation <laughs> that's the ultimate and and you could like be so passive aggressive with that stuff too anyway um when one more thought from Candace Little. Um, she shared with us, his color system for emotions is seriously genius. Yeah, we agree. Can you talk about it a little? I think we've talked about it a lot, but any we other thoughts? We have talked about it a lot. Again, I think, you know, I would just say that we, 
love it, um, use it, look it up. Uh, find it wherever on the internet. I've got it because I have my computer in front of me. Uh, <laughs> there's an app and it costs like $2 or something, but Mark Brackett, you can take my $2 all you want. <laughs> it's moodmeterapp.com. I actually just downloaded it the other day in preparation for our conference coming up in November, but I haven't started it yet. So come back Perfect. to me in a while. I'll be an expert. Well, I want to move on and talk about these regulation skills. Um, let's just briefly, um, Kirsten, our resident um, looker-upper, <laughs> Googler. Uh, just Google make sure Kristen. that we, we, we put those out there. And then after we do that, I really want to talk about how we use these and how important it is for us right now as we are, we keep saying coming out of COVID, but as you know, here in the United States and even here in Utah, we are having a surge and it's disheartening and let me lo- use all my red words here yeah. it's an emotional boomerang <laughs> it's uneasy yep it's stressed it's uh, makes me nervous panicky. it's anyway all those red words <laughs> yep um that, that could all... be our new thing instead of farm words we're using a red word or red oh, words oh, yeah <laughs> like, i don't have the right word right now but i know it's but red i know it's red <laughs> <laughs> But let's, so let's talk a little bit about how how we regulate some of those mindful things that we that we need to do. So there, this is the like the meat of it for me. I this it's stuff the can, doing stuff. Yeah. It's like all the first part is like here's all the things, here's all the problems, here's all the issues, mm-hmm. here's and then all of a sudden it's like okay, here's like actual Action. practical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. physical things that we can do. I actually found myself thinking that, so this is the last R, right? This is Shelly's R, the regulation stuff. And I found myself thinking like, oh, I wish I would have just skipped to this stuff at the beginning. But but um, that's not actually, everything builds, right? R-U-L-E-R really, really builds on itself throughout the book. So when you get to this point where it's like, here's the R, here are the regulation, oh, sorry, that's my computer that's in front of me, um, the regulation strategies. Um, this is like the yeah, the doing stuff, and I love this—the the meat and bones. So, um, I maybe I'll just read them, and you, yeah, I want to ask you guys, what are your favorite of the regulation skills and strategies? I maybe won't read all of them, but um, mindful breathing is one of them. He gets into that a lot, and he's been really practicing that a lot for a lot of years. Um, practicing self care. Uh, I'll probably comment on that. One. <laughs> Staying connected. Um, monitoring your self-talk and by that um, like trying to reframe the situation you're in and trying to see the positive in things Um, having a routine is a regulation strategy which I think is really interesting Um, enjoying yourself like making time to do fun things in your life Um, Abby and Spencer Cox (laughs) and um, having self and other compassion Um, giving yourself and others permission to fail and and forgive so Mm, what do you all love what are you drawn to there i'm definitely drawn to routine i am a 100 Mm. percent routine person and if i'm off my routine you are going to know i'm going to show up at the office not yellow if i haven't gotten up i i have a routine in the morning i meditate i read i go for a run i do all before i walk in the door so if i'm off that routine if i've gone to bed late the night before i'm You'll just know my mood is going to definitely be different. So when my alarm goes off at 4.45 a.m., if I miss the routine, I'm in a bad mood. I'm red. So Michael Hyatt, who's like a speaker, has this thing called Slayer Dragons before breakfast. Are you familiar with it? No, Go but dig I in try there. to oh, slay my dragons. Dig in. <laughs> slay those dragons before breakfast. Love it. Yeah, Kirsten, just what, what speaks to you? You said self-care, so talk yeah. about that. You know, I... She has a hair appointment. We just talked about Somebody told her, one of our good friends, Melissa Hart, the other day called her hair uh, stylist her therapist. Oh, yes. (laughs) I was like, that's That's fabulous. My (laughs) producer is like shaking his head. But he maybe does. Oh, he knows Melissa. Yeah, she's been here for a podcast too. Her therapist. I love it. You know what? Um, Self care is really. Okay, so like I'm really into practical things. I kind of have a dry personality and like I really, I don't know, I don't get into like all the pie in the sky. There's a lot of stuff that I think is out there in the world that's like a total waste of time. So I'm like really pretty practical with the way I do things. And so self-care, like if you would have asked the Kirsten from 10 years ago about self-care, I would have been like, that is so stupid. (laughs) Like, okay, like, yeah, Yeah. let's go take care. Like, it sounds like an excuse to be lazy and spend a lot of money on stuff, right? Like that sounds real dumb. But now 
now, um, a- again, having gained like an education on these things and, and also because I'm in the throes of crazy motherhood mm-hmm. and a working person and, and like involved in all these different things in my life, I, I've realized that self-care is so, so important and it can look really different for different people, right? Like, uh, first lady, you talk a lot about like how cross country skiing for you can be like really a self-care thing. Shelly, your Instagram is Shelly loves to run and you talked about that and for me, um, I've had to just uh, um, like find these little moments in the throes of motherhood where like self-care can just look like walking into the other room for like a few minutes and doing some mindful breathing. Um, or it can when be like going to get a of Little kids like showering. Is oh, self-care. for sure. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. So but like true. being um, intentional about self-care rather than just <laughs> right. like, yeah. like that that mindset is like everything you're right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would be a big old wreck if. And luckily, I have a really supportive partner who allows me to not allows like we're in a partnership. <laughs> uh, it's very egalitarian, but like who really like um, promotes that in our lives. I love that. So I guess for me, um, and we can talk about um, COVID and and how we've all kind of tried to figure out this stuff together. Um, I know there was some really anxious times. And when I'm talking anxiety, I mean, I'm not talking like maybe clinical, but close to it mm-hmm. with Spencer and I both um, during the really and again, it may be starting again, but <laughs> right. but some of the some of the really really tough times. Where, I mean, when you're campaigning, mm-hmm. and you have people who are literally hoping you fail and trying to get you to fail, which means people are going to get sick and people are going to die. Mm-hmm. So you're and people are going to lose their jobs or their livelihood or whatever it is. I mean, you're having like really the weight of the world on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm watching my husband and you did this, Kirsten. You were right in the middle of this. And, and I'm watching him. I learned a breathing technique and I didn't even know it was part of a mindfulness thing. I didn't know those words. That wasn't in my vocabulary yet, but it was a few years ago. I learned a breathing technique when I was not sleeping well and it was how to fall asleep. And so I learned that. And when, when these really tough moments during COVID, that's what I used. I started Uh, reading, it's like you breathe in four counts, mm -hmm. you hold your breath seven and out eight. That's the one that I've done. And so that just somehow just releases. uh, So anytime it's, I feel it's starting to build, I start doing that breathing and I do that at night. If I can't sleep, I'll do it in the middle of the night. If I wake up and can't sleep. Um, and, and the breathing's just, great because yeah. you could do that right here and we oh, wouldn't yeah. even oh, yeah. know you were doing it. Yep, you know, so it's true. just like center yep. myself, take a breath. You know, if I walked in a room at the height of, even right mm-hmm. now, it's starting to happen again where I walk in a room you and feel I'm feeling anxious because mm-hmm. I'm like, am I going to get COVID now? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of folks in here, not, there's too many people. We always, I always, we actually went to do some school shopping the other day and walked into the mall and there were so many people we kind of walked right back out because like, I told them, okay, I said, um, it's way too people in yeah, here for yeah, me right now. I, I can't do this. So we went home and shopped online. That's I love, so that's what we did. That's good. Um, well, but, oh, I was go just going to say, no, I think before we wrap up, she had, she doesn't want to forget her big announcement. Yeah, so. for sure. But let's, one more thing okay. before we, before we make our big announcement, um, Kirsten, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, and I tweeted the other day about my obsession oh, with gymnastics. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the Olympics going on right now, this is this um, idea of of taking care of ourselves and our mental health really came to the forefront when Simone Biles, you know, pulled out of several events for for mental health reasons, and there was a lot of hubbub around it. And um, I just really connected because I was an aspiring gymnast when I was little, and I loved it. Honestly, I grew a little too tall, and really what happened was in my area, in our little rural area, there just wasn't much. My parents, I mean, when you do it for real, it's a lot of money, and my parents didn't have those kind of resources, and we just didn't have anywhere close that I could really excel in it. But um, that's my excuse. I'm sure I would have been an Olympian if not, but... But Shelly, you talked a little bit about um, your thoughts on Simone. Well, when I first heard about it, I was like, 
I, I went to, wow, that's, I have an athlete as a son. And if he pulled out of a game, that's letting his team down. And, and I went through those emotions of how would I feel? But then when I watched Michaela Skinner come through and win the silver, I was like, if Simone hadn't have had the courage to step back, somebody else wouldn't have had the opportunity to shine. And so I felt like sometimes in our lives, when we think, oh, I'm the one in charge, I'm the one who's supposed to do this event, and we're scared to pull out, by us pulling out, sometimes we give somebody else an opportunity to rise to the top. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity that we all had to witness this and watch this experience. I love that you said she had the courage. I think that's beautiful, Kirsten. You know, I have to be honest and and a little bit vulnerable about it. When I first heard about it, it took me a while to process. In fact, Abby, some of you and I and some of our friends were texting about it. And I think we all were sort of, it's interesting how one person who like will never know, although I did buy tickets to see her show when it comes in a few months, um, but we'll never know, uh, like the whole world's talking about her right now, right? Mm -hmm. And her decisions and her, like what's going on with her and why couldn't she pull herself up by the boots? Like a little bit my initial instinct and and I kind of um I think it was a good lesson um and also good experience to um you know talk about the importance of belonging like kind of suss it out with some of our friends and like kind of attack you know we were sharing articles back and forth from like different viewpoints that were coming out within you know 10 or 15 minutes and and the weight of the whole world is on this girl's shoulder this woman's shoulders and for me for me to have a snap judgment of like whatever it is like she's greater than that and she should be able to get over it and get back into it like that's honestly what i initially thought and in in the ensuing days where she's um talked about it a little bit more and led us into her head which is like sacred space right like to to let the whole world into your head like that and said like hey something happened to me right like we all now know what the twisties means and none of us had ever heard about that before um where i needed to prioritize my own mental health and it just got to be too much like i initially saw that a failure and now i see it as a great triumph and and one of the things i mentioned to our friends when i kind of came around i guess was i think the world just gained one of its greatest mental health advocates and to, and to shelly's point um so many people will see that now and know that it's okay right and whether or not she got a a, a medal at the olympics like that doesn't impact any of us in our actual lives right like of course we're, we have patriotism and we're all rooting for the united states to get the most gold medals and the highest medal count but like when it comes down to it what happened at the olympics with simone biles <clears throat> during this olympic cycle may have it not may it will have greater greater ripple effects for generations to come and i am so thrilled about that well and just one last thing as a parent who does have a an athlete who you're sitting watching and the world and the announcers are talking and people are commenting on social media and i remember the first time that they said whoa have you seen this kid's era it's it's terrible this is his freshman year in college and as a mom you're like you have no idea what's going on in his world right mm-hmm. now like please so I understand. I understand that. It's like, please let these athletes and sometimes let's as fans, we get so involved and we're so fanatic about things because we want that's our sport too, but let them have compassion for them and have compassion for what's going on behind the scenes because most of the time we have no idea. And so for me, that's why I was able to accept it because I always knew what was going on in my own son's life and why he was having the struggles on the mound that he was having. And for the world to sometimes attack, mm-hmm. you just want to say, hold on, time out for just a second and let's show compassion for people. Yeah. Yes. And I think, um, I guess that's kind of the feeling I had during the campaign and how mm-hmm. how I continue to feel when it comes to my husband and my family too is you know I sat there and watched him come home just completely um spent and watched him feel the the weight of people's health and their and their world on him and and how much he cared and I you know and then people are just making little comments so we talk about you know, as we regulate our emotions, you know, maybe 
take a breath, do some mindful breathing before you respond on Facebook. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe take a minute and try to think about what somebody else is dealing with in that moment before you make a snap judgment on who they are and what they're about. And doing that will make a huge impact on those of us who have been on the other side of it. Like, I will say that I am a totally changed person having been part of the inside of the beast, the belly of the beast, when it came to our COVID response for the state. And I've spent months and months unpacking some of the things that happened and some of the decisions that we, we made. And, you know, we didn't always know what we, we, we did our very, very best. And, and there were always people coming at us from every single side. And um, I learned a lot from that and, and I've grown a lot. But I also um, can now relate to what it's like to have felt triggered, to to have felt actual anxiety and all, and all of these things. It, it brought a lot of like red and blue things into my life. And so at, at, I guess at the same time, it's also brought compassion in it and it's teaching me to take, right. He refers to the meta moment as a tool that you can take. And, and we kind of have alluded to it throughout this conversation. And so um, that's why I think books like this, that's why I think conversations like this are so valuable because they're teaching us all to be better humans, right? Like better Absolutely. at being part of this humanity and giving each other a lot more grace. Absolutely. Um, before we leave, we are going to wrap up right now, but our huge announcement is that Mark Brackett will be a keynote speaker this fall at our uh, our teacher conference, our educator conference in November, and we are absolutely thrilled. He's amazing, and I can't wait to learn from him in person and meet him in person for the first time. So this is this is just great news and we're super excited and we will keep you posted on all the other comings and goings of our of our initiative it'll be awesome so thank you for joining us for our initial uh book club podcast and we will announce the next book um in a few weeks and we'll get you reading so thanks for being a friend